All right, and we're live back in the studio here for Music Unraveled, episode two, with Michael Booty, great friend and musical battle buddy. Uh, Glad be, to be here. Yeah, man, always a pleasure, and what an interesting topic we have. One, unfortunately, I was ignorant on until you were kind and generous enough to be persistent in turning me on to the truckers. <laughs> uh, so this is Drive by Truckers Unraveled. And uh, we're going to be delving into that, but you actually, uh, between Todd Snyder Unraveled and this podcast, have gone to yet another show, uh, the Bottle Rockets. Correct, yes. So, And uh, most drive-by truckers fans tend to be Bottle Rockets fans, at least the ones who know the Bottle Rockets, and a lot of them do, uh, and vice versa. So it seems appropriate to kind of segue from them into the truckers. But yeah, it was actually the day after you and I met last time for the Todd Snyder Unraveled. Yes. Uh, went and saw the Bottle Rockets uh, in what is billed as a living room show uh, down in Little Rock. What it ended up being uh, was held in the basement of an old church down in uh, downtown Little Rock. Legit. Yeah, total gothic architecture. I'm not going to name the church. Uh, because these living room shows are meant to For sure. not be pre-exposed, uh, but it was you know gothic architecture, stone building, you know, uh, and the room or the uh, door into the room was uh, right off of the sidewalk. Uh, and when I went in there, what I realized is not only was it the basement of a church, but it was actually the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting room. How, <laughs> how ironic. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, of course, it was bring your own. And so you know, I come in walking in carrying my flask of whiskey. It felt a little like, okay, this is kind of awkward. But then I noticed that uh, the, the church itself, in order, I, get, I would assume at least to raise funds for perhaps that program, uh, had a keg of beer there that they were, uh, you know, Generous. Gen yeah, serving beer for donations. So I thought, all right, so this this is interesting. But uh, it was in the Alcoholics Anonymous room, which was a trip. Yeah. Hey, you know, I will say this as a side note. Some of the best weddings I've ever been to were Catholic weddings. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It just, all right, so in the, I, as a note, the Bottle Rockets got their start really close to the same time the Drive-By Truckers did. And now don't quote me on this, but I want to say that the Bottle Rockets, I think, started um, – recording and traveling in in earnest right around somewhere early 90s 1993 around there uh and that was about the same time that uh what is now known as 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 drive-by truckers uh hood and cooley the two main guys which we'll talk about a lot were in a band their original band called adam's house cat uh so they've, they've both been road warriors both bands drive-by truckers bottle rockets have been road warriors and uh uh, independent artists for 25 plus years, both of them. Um, it was interesting. The second time I've seen the Bottle Rockets in a living room show, even though this was a church. Was, uh, that, was the first one the Little Rock too? No, no. Actually, the first time I saw them was at uh, Sticky's in Little Rock. Okay. Uh, and then I've seen them in two living room shows since then, once in Tulsa and then this one in Little Rock. So how, how often did they come through? Well, that's the thing. I think they're going to be coming through fairly often. I talked to Brian Henneman. He's the uh, lead singer, uh, one of the guitarists, and the uh, songwriter for the band. And uh, Living Room Shows is basically their gig now. He, told, he talked about during the show uh, that 
the Bottle Rockets, you know, like I said, they had started out early 90s in 1993, and um, they had kind of gotten a couple songs on the radio, and they were being backed, you know, by a uh, studio. Uh, and so they were starting to kind of take off, starting to get, you know, instead of driving around in a beat-up car, they were in a bus, you know, and starting to really gain ground as a band. Uh, and then the Internet hit. And when the Internet hit, as Brian... Henneman tells the story, uh, that pretty much brought that entire scene to a screeching halt, and the sure. buses were gone, and the what little but at least livable uh, wage they were making as a band went away, and they had to find a different path to, to try to sustain themselves. Um, so, long story short, uh, they've happened upon, and, and it looks like this is going to be their thing now, as they travel around doing living room shows uh, they know they still do clubs from time to time but he said he, he said clubs even now these days are becoming harder and harder to secure you know because it's all going to or largely going to be based on how big of a draw a given band is going to bring in and despite the bottle rockets having been road warriors and making fantastic music for so long they're still you know relatively unknown band when it comes to you know, mainstream consideration. You mean like secure in terms of like the crowd being unruly? No, no, no. I mean secure in terms of like how many people are going to show up and pay to buy uh, a ticket yes. at the door. Well, you like uh, like when uh, we were uh, at the well, it might have been when we saw when we saw the truckers outside of that, they were talking about when lead singer Lucero came through. Mm. And he didn't sell. Nobody mm -hmm. knew who he was. He didn't sell enough to be in the back room, so he played on that front stage, which I would right. have loved to have been there to Me see too. that. I hate but that, um, that uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure that he was planning on it being a, a lot more ticket sales and a bigger show. Well, and, yes, uh, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of um, you're well, talking about Mike Nichols, Lucero. Yes, yes, yes. Well, maybe. You know, you take him out, yeah. uh, out of the equation of the, the name brand, and, and a lot of people don't know who Mike Nichols is. Correct. I, did, I mean, if, if uh, yeah, I wouldn't know if I heard. Yeah. So, But at any rate, so what, what Brian Henneman uh, said is that uh, they have gotten to the point now where they have found that the way that they're going to be able to keep doing this after 25-plus years and keep – sustaining themselves and making some sort of a living is is the living room circuit. And by the way, for those listeners who may not be familiar with quote-unquote living room show, uh, it's a really kind of a new breed of, of um, um, concert, for lack of a better word, uh, where people in cities across the country host in their homes, or in this case was in a church, um, uh, host a band to come in and play, and then they sell tickets, you know, through various outlets. Like this one was through the uh, Bob Rockets uh, publisher, you know, ones that publish their albums. Uh, and you buy a ticket, just like you would for a concert. And then once you buy the ticket, you get the information about exactly where it's going to be. Like I knew it'd be in Little Rock, but I didn't know where in Little Rock. Interesting. You know? how, so you, how long till they told you where it was going to oh, be? Oh, you once you buy the ticket, you get oh, that right away. Right. And then it's you know, it's kind of a a trust relationship, you know, they say, you know, please don't share the, the location with anybody. I mean, this is supposed to be a very private, intimate, personal experience. You know, share it to other people to buy tickets. But, I mean, you're not supposed to tell people where it's going to be because we're talking about people's homes in most cases. You know, we don't want to be just throwing that out there online. Um, so you get that, and then it's literally, 
as the name implies, you go usually to someone's living room and you're sitting there on their couch or they have chairs bit out or sometimes you bring a pillow and sit on the floor and the artist is right there in the room, the band, the artist, whatever it happens to be, right there in the room and performs uh, purely for a limited audience. Uh, usually they're 30 to 50 people at most. I've seen them even wow. less than that. Yeah, what so did the tickets run on that? Um, uh, anywhere, uh, so I've, I've paid anywhere from 20 bucks. I paid the Bottle Rocks one was 25. Um, Will Johnson, I saw him twice, and I think his were 20. Yes, uh, that's so but cheap. one of the great things, well, yeah, that's awesome, but one of the great things is that it's like getting a personal private performance that's what about that Todd Snyder artists. show. I felt that and was such an intimate out. show. You know, I, I can only imagine what that show would have been like with the Bottle Rockets. Uh, well, it, it, yes, it, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, it, and it's all every living room show I've been to is great because it's just so personal. You know, you, and also everybody's there. You don't generally have the chatter, the the people getting drunk and making a scene or anything like that because you know you're in someone's home <laughs> or in this case in a church and so and the people yeah. who are coming there only know about it because they they're on the inside they they follow these bands and they find out about it that way so it's um and then the also thing artists are always hanging out you know it's you get to talk to them and i know have them sign you so you you just like I, I saw you have pictures with at least the uh what you said ben henneman yes all right so i had two good stories that i can tell about that first one uh, Brian Hinneman, the again, he's the lead singer. Uh, Brian, Brian, okay, so it was Ben Nichols, but that drives our point ben home Nichols. That, that we don't recognize Mike his is name. The director, we, sorry, Lucero. You I, know, I, when I said Mike Nichols, I thought, is that right? Uh, but that's the director. I didn't. I, <laughs> Nickel, I didn't even know his ben last Nichols. name was Nichols. Yeah. So um, Ben Nichols. Anyway, anyway, Lucero. sorry about that, Ben. At least we're please, talking about you. Please forgive me. I, I, I will make sure that I like write that down. Index. We're card gonna come see you at a solo show if you play again. <laughs> Definitely. And then we're gonna talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, we'll yell, God, Mike, please. <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, back to the bottle rock. Yeah. Brian Henneman, which I keep saying Brian Henneman to make a distinction between Brian Henneman and Brian Wilson, by the way. Uh, he was outside before the show smoking a cigarette. And I was out on the sidewalk and I saw him. And he was on his phone for a little while, but I waited till he got off the phone and he was standing. So I just kind of wandered over there and started talking to him. And um, he was telling me that right after this particular living room show, that their next stop was New Orleans, and they were heading out from the port of New Orleans onto a uh, crew, uh, rock and roll cruise ship. This is the second year that they have done this, in which they're one of the bands that plays on this rock and roll cruise. Okay, uh, So we were talking a little bit about that, and I was saying, so what do you think of cruises? Because I've never been on one. I have a very topsy-turvy stomach, and I've always been... I do not want to be stuck on a boat. Exactly. I don't want to be stuck on a boat hurling the entire time. And so I've never done that and never really wanted to. Um, but he said, he said, you know, he said, the interesting thing, I, he said, wasn't a problem for me. Uh, I didn't never had to take Dramamine. I had just had never had a problem. He said, and even even uh, after the cruise, which they were out on the on the water for, I think it was four days, something like that. Don't quote me on that. But it was a good while. He said, you know, most people that come back, you step off the boat, and the world is, you know, what they call it, sea legs, top, yeah. topsy-turvy. Almost like after. I always like felt that way after jumping on a trampoline when I was a kid. Okay, when that I, yeah. you get similar experience, but, like, 
to the nth degree, right? Because you, <laughs> it's like you're still on the ocean on flat land, and it's very disconcerting. I've even had that happen out bass fishing for a day, you know, especially if the waters are choppy. So he told me, you know, he didn't have it didn't have any of that. He said I stepped off that boat. He said just as, just as, you know, uh, grounded as could be. Uh, could go in here, take a shower, sit down, eat dinner. He never had a problem. He said, but he said, and this is the weird part. He said, and this lasted for a week. Every time I'd sit on the toilet, the world would start <laughs> floating topsy turvy on me. He said, I'd stand up from the toilet. Everything was fine. I was grounded. Sit down on the toilet. The whole world started going. I up wonder and down. why just when he sat down. I don't. I don't know. Well, my suggestion to him, I said maybe it was you know the close proximity to the water. <laughs> that, that's funny. Yeah. Which wow. I, I doubt has anything to do with it, but I, I don't know. It, it's. I just thought it was one of those absurdist stories that you know. I don't know that, why. Yeah, Neither yeah. does he. But that was his experience. Yeah. So that was fun, you know, and then getting to talk to him for an extended time like that, you know, a living room show, quote upon quote, gives you that opportunity. Uh, whereas, you know, a lot of other shows like with meeting Patterson Hood uh, or meeting Todd Snyder, you know, it's kind of like a, a chance meeting or something that you actively seek to set up uh, in a living room show. It's almost expected. They hang out with the crowd. I mean, that's part of it. Part of it. Yeah. It's like a. Um, a low-key party, you know, uh, with a band that comes to play just for you. Nice. I, I've never got to go to a living room show, but I'm... I'm we should I'm remedy that. P yeah, obviously. Um, According to Brian and I, you know, this is their future as they move forward, continuing to make, make new music, continuing to perform. And I'm thinking, as I see these things pop up more and more and more, uh, that it may be the future of underground music. Do, do you know any other people out there that would be um, in the same sort of classification in terms of popularity, I guess would be a way to quantify it, that, is do that are also doing Lazy Living Room shows? Oh, yeah, lots of them. Will, Will Johnson, uh, who is originally of Centromatic, uh, kind of a, a well, pretty, pretty strong cult following uh, band out of Denton, Texas. Um, the band is no longer performing as a band however they still do projects together so they, they may get together back together at some point but uh, I've seen Will Johnson solo twice in the living room got to talk to him both times got, we talked about Patterson Hood they're good friends and as a matter of fact they're going to be or somewhere in the stages of planning a uh, project together a uh, musical so I get this right a musical um, take on the life of Lady Bird Johnson is what Will Johnson told me i don't know where in the process it is but he said i said so you're telling me this will happen he said yes it's gonna happen i just don't know when uh he in fact with uh marie marie lepanto marie slash lepanto is a will johnson project with an arkansas guy uh who has a very strange name that i cannot remember right now off the top of my head uh adam fawcett no no it's not adam fawcett that is an interesting that. last name yes it's it's more interesting than that it'll come to me at any rate they they have a they've done a um, collaborative project and uh are touring uh living room tour right now nice yeah i've never seen drive-by truckers do a living room show probably because they like to just flat out rock it, yeah um 
they're, I would just like I would just describe the, their live performance that I got to see with you, uh, and I can, I'll elaborate more a little on, uh, later on. It's just raw. Oh yeah, most it was definitely. so raw. Well, do you in know a that good in the best possible way? Do you know that, that I might have told you they don't play with a set list? That's what blew my mind, yeah. man. Like, just I mean, just going into a little bit of my take, like I have always I've seen. I, you inspire me as a concert goer because there was a period where I started getting a little older and I started going to a little less concerts. Then I hit about like 28 and I was mm. like, I'm going to more concerts now. I, I just kind of, and I was busy in college and yes. just didn't go as much, but when in high school and after high school, I, I feel like I almost got burned out. I was going to so many, if that's yeah. even a thing. But I was, but this is a different it's experience. A diff- I think it's a, yeah, I think and it's a different musically. And having had that experience, I played in the church band growing up. And it, I mean, I've got across the way in the next room a full music room, Studio B. <laughs> and um, seeing those two guys play live blew me away in their performance. Because you know, when you see like a Guns N' Roses and mm-hmm. Axl Rose changes his shirt like 32 times, right. that's that's it's very a more polished and. Perf- yeah, polished and yeah, forced would be a good word too, in some ways, but more polished and you know more practiced and uh, you imagine that I would imagine at least that that show would probably be pretty similar from stage to stage to stage. Exactly. You know, it's 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 set up with certain props and certain times they're going to do this. It's a very planned performance, which yep. Roger Waters' show was too, oh, but in yeah. the best possible Most way. Definitely, I, definitely. Um, I can't wait. Yeah, and I don't mean to crap on that. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes that's what the show requires. But what the drive-by truckers, you know, at the core, they're they're a punk band. You know, (laughs) that's that's at the core. I mean, one of of Patterson Hood's primary primary, uh, inspirations is The Clash. And they did, um, did they do a Clash cover? Nope, Ramones. Ramones, yeah. Yeah, the KKT. The KKK took my baby away. Yes, yes. I was looking at that set list you sent me. I thought they played way more songs. <laughs> well, a lot of their songs, you know, they, they jam during the song, so they go on for some time. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is. And I looked at it, too. It's like, you know, I can't believe it. Look it. as long as the list should be. I can't believe they didn't have a set list. And I wonder if that set list was possibly devoid of some of the songs because they don't have the set list. I mean, it would just be based off the account of the people that were there that night, right? What they do is, um, well, they've been, again, they've been doing this together for so long. Mike Cooley and Patterson Hood uh, have been together since Adam's House Cat way back in 1993, 94, somewhere along those lines. Um, and then um, when they started the Truckers, which actually began out of Athens, even though Mike Cooley and Patterson Hood grew up in this lifetime long friends, they grew up in the Muscle Shoals area era, area of Alabama. Uh, but they ultimately formed the Drive By Truckers in um, Athens, and uh, they've been playing together what since 1993 or so. The band has been uh, putting out music since 1998 when they first put out Gangsta Billy, um, and so they. <laughs> They yeah, probably are, are connected, and see, I will talk about that later. But they are probably are connected in some way, almost like a um, uh, little lifeline between them. And so, what the way Patterson describes it, at least, is that they just have signals 
And I've tried to catch them, like giving a signal. One time, I saw one signal. Okay. What did you did you pick up on? I have been able show? to catch. Here's a what at the German three man. At one point, he goes. He holds up his hand with a three. Uh, see, uh, was that hood? But it could have been. He could have been making like the circle with his finger too. I believe it was. I believe it was cool. Okay. But well, I remember one of it because I was like, it blew me away when you told me I didn't use set list. Yeah, yeah. And then when I was seeing it live, I'm like, how are they doing it? You know, yeah, where, yeah. where's it at? I've tried to look for it too, and I haven't been able to catch it. But they, they, well, first of all, they with their shows, everyone they do this. You know, they'll go back and forth. Hood, we'll we'll do a song. Cooley will do a song. Even Hood more do a song. Creative. Cooley will do a song. Hood, Cooley, because they're you know they both are incredibly uh, talented songwriters and, di- and, and different in their own yes, very respective rights. I appreciated both of them on different levels. You know, uh, like I felt Cooley was. They both brought the the sort of punk genre mm. to to the you know the Americana and the rockabilly and the country and I mean there's just a, a, a southern rock infusion yes. of all of these great genres. I mean that's a I would give it an analogy of kind of like MMA today. It's yeah. like it's a combination of all these other great things that make that great. And they you know? weave it together so beautifully. So stylistically. I was I, I I'll tell you this. I read and I can I, I wish I could tell you the author's name and exactly where I read it, but I read an article one time in which uh, this particular uh, writer described the different styles of songwriting between Hood and Cooley in such a great way. Uh, I'll give him credit. I wish I could remember who it was, but he said, um, or he wrote, that in essence, Hood, Patterson Hood, is like a prolific novelist in his songwriting, and Mike Cooley is like a modern poet in his songwriting. Yeah. And I think that that is the best description that I could possibly give of what you just described. You know, the, how they're they're different. It's a it's a contrast. Different song type song styles that blend so beautifully together. You know, Mike has these, uh, Cooley has these uh, just brilliant turns of phrases, you know, like, um, for example, off of uh, one of my favorite songs of his called Gravity's Gone, he says, or he writes, so I'll meet you at the bottom if there really is one. They always told me when you hit it, you'd know it. But I've been falling so long, it's like gravity's gone and I'm just floating. And it's just I, that creates such an, an image in my mind that is so would be so akin to a modern poet. Do you feel like, um, due to your background, it's harder for you to appreciate things like that? Not, I mean, obviously, this being something that you do appreciate, but do you feel like you have to have? I mean, I, I'm the same way. Like, I mean, Todd Snyder's lyrics. Or s- and, and the hooks that he brings are some of the things I appreciate the most. And mm. I, I just got goosebumps again when you read that. But not every song I hear, is sometimes it's the music that gives me the goosebumps sure. versus the, the turn of phrase. But I could see, given your background, how um, it's going to need to be some literary genius going <laughs> on. And everybody that you've turned me on to, I would say, has an element of literary well, genius. Well, at the core of most, not all, but most of the music that I love, and certainly at the core of the music that speaks to me most, is is uh, really insightful and strong songwriting. That's true. Um, and yet that can come in so many different forms. It, it amazes me with, with Hood as a perfect example. It amazes me how that guy... And that's why I think prolific novelist is a good way to describe him. How he can take just 
everyday basic standard language of you know a uh, the common man you know just everyday language no no fancy words no fancy you know uh, poetic images just straight up conversational language and use it to tell a story that absolutely destroys me in every way uh, positively and negatively you know I mean that just really emotionally hits me right here um, how he does that I don't know I guess it's one of those things of the artist's bag of tricks if you want to call it or uh, just the artistic ability to do that but it's always listening to his songs and maybe that's why he speaks to me so much is because it's like he's it's like listening to a song is just like listening to him tell a story and yet the way he uses that common language to create images uh, and 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 well for let me just give an example to be better than explaining I guess um, the first album that I bought of the drive-by truckers I mentioned last time in our last podcast uh, was blessing and a curse and uh, it's actually, I think, by by most trucker fans I, I hear, is considered one of their, I don't want to say lesser albums, but one of the ones that isn't on usually in the, most my favorite trucker's album. How many know? albums? Do you, do you know how many albums they have off top of Oh, I like could count them up. 13 or something. Yeah, right? I could count them up here. I think I'm written down here somewhere, but uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and they've gone through a lot of different uh, yeah. staff changes, too. But that album um, has a song on it called Wednesday. Uh, which is, I think, one of the, the most underappreciated drive-by trucker songs that I know of. I mean, every great now and then I'll hear somebody mention the song Wednesday. Uh, but I loved it when I first heard it. It was one of my favorite songs off the album that has so many of my favorite songs from the truckers. And a lot of it was because of this one line right here. And it has stuck with me uh, ever since I heard it the very first time. Um the story is about a guy who kind of is just one of those down on his luck, always depressed kind of persons, you know, and even when he has a love affair, it doesn't work out and she ends up leaving him because he's just too depressing, you know. Uh, but this one line, they say every man's house should be his palace, but his castle stank of cat shit and alone. That image from those, I mean, there's not a single word in there that any fourth grader would have to look up. You know what I mean? I mean, there's there's nothing in that that, that is uh, difficult to understand, and yet it creates such an expansive image in my mind. And the very first time I heard it, that that's when I said, oh, this is somebody I've got to really listen to. Um, that, is a, music, that is a powerful uh, line. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, it just... You take that one line, you know, his his castle stank of cat shit and alone, and it tells you almost his entire life story of that particular character, you know. It's just something about his abilities. I, I don't know how he does it, but I admire the hell out of him for it. And I don't, and by the way, Cooley as well, he's ever been as strong a songwriter. In fact, Patterson Hood would probably say he's a better songwriter uh, than I am. Uh, but there's just something about Hood's lyrics that just cut, for me at least, right to the heart of whatever it is he is writing about. Most of his stuff is narrative. And a lot of people get confused about, um, or have been in the past, got confused about his intentions with his music. 
too, uh, because especially because of southern, well, starting with Southern Rock Opera, which by some people was misinterpreted as a celebration of everything that the South stands for, when it really was quite the do- opposite of that. That is one thing, uh, if, I, if I, I can interject for a second, that I love about the drive-by truckers and seeing them. And I, I don't know, uh, would you classify them real quick? Would you say, I would, when we saw them, hmm. I would have classified them in their performance that night as a political band, a politically charged band. Uh, Patrick or Patterson's taking a knee in, in some things that in in some of the songs on their new album, at least. Yeah, the man that's that's going to be an image in this room. That that uh, White Panther salute from the '68 Olympics. And every show, uh, well, I think since Ferguson, shortly thereafter, every show they play in every place they play, they have a Black Lives Matter sign on yes. stage with them. And someone asked him, I read somewhere uh, along the way, some, of the, some uh, um, reporter asked him, you know, at what point or if ever are you going to take that sign down? And he said, this is a direct quote from Patterson, he said, well, he said, I'll take the sign down when it no longer needs to be said. Yeah. Um, they, have, they have always been a political band. They've not always been as overtly a political band as they ha- uh, uh, have become with American Band, which was their last album. That album is a pure protest album. Yes, I would agree. And that's been, that being an album I listened to, I just listened to new stuff before we went to the show, mostly. Yeah. And then we listened to some a spread of yeah. stuff on the way. But, but it, you know, the interesting, it, it, well, Mike Cooley is a man of few words. You know, Patterson Hood has become over the years, and most certainly with, with American Band, but even before then, he's become kind of the, uh, uh, the, the the voice of the New South, the voice of a more progressive South. You know, somebody who came, was born in, and who was raised in, and whose music is, mo- is, is inspired by the South, um, and yet who, s- who sees and loves and, and, and celebrates everything South should stand for and does in certain ways, but also recognizes its dirty past as well, which is the the focus of the album, The Dirty South. I mean, that's the entire focus of that album is, you know, he's, he's, he's a Southerner and he's a proud Southerner, but he also recognizes and thinks that the South needs to atone for um, some of its past horrific mistakes, if you want to call them that. And I don't want to get too political with this either, by the well, way. Uh, well, yes, but <laughs> and, and likewise, because that's just one small piece mm-hmm. of the the bigger picture that is DBT. But that I felt like they. What I liked about them is that they they broke the stereotype yep. of the, the tra- your. I guess that you could just say traditional Southern band. Yep. I, I I don't know. I mean, maybe that's being too vague or generalizing. But that that's usually the category they get kind of lumped into. It's like, it's oh, you guys aren't racist? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> or the other way around. Because when they put out American Band, now, let me kind of come, I'm going to cover a long way around to this, and I apologize about that. But when they put out the Ameri- American Band, it was an intentional uh, political statement. It was the very first album, uh, well, since Southern Rock Opera, uh, that they didn't have Wes Freed to do the uh, cover art. Wes Freed has been their artist, cover art, everything, you know, poster art and all that, uh, uh, T-shirts, everything, 
since uh, almost the beginning, certainly since Southern Rock Opera. Did they have a difference in opinion? Or? No, 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 oh, okay. no. No, this was the band's decision. They had his cu- his artwork on the inside and on the back, mm-hmm. but on the front, it is simply a black and white shot of an American flag at half mast. Yeah, that's a that's a powerful uh, and art cover. And so, yeah, I think that tells you right there that they their intentions with this particular album was were different than they've been in the past. Now they've been a political band from the beginning, but you'd really have to listen to their songs and listen to the lyrics to really hear that. You know what I mean? Patterson Hood and Mike Cooley they tell story you know tell stories from a uh, certain perspective, a character's perspective. And oftentimes people mistook that to mean something different. You know, like if Patterson Hood is telling a story from the perspective of a racist person in the South, he's embodying that particular character. And people, a lot of people mistook what his intentions were there. So with American Band came out, uh, Cooley said, as I said a man a few words, uh, he said, well, we wanted to piss off the assholes. And they did. <laughs> I can tell you, uh, being a member of the Drive-By Truckers fan group on Facebook is, you know, uh, is as much exposure as I needed. There were people, a lot of people who were like, you know, I will never listen to you again. You know, I've been a fan from the beginning, and you don't speak for me, and blah, 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 which they weren't trying to speak for anybody. They were simply speaking Neil for Young themselves. Neil Young went through that. We ta- did, did we, you and I talk about that, or was that on the podcast earlier today? Well, maybe. Um, there's this, it's in the song. Uh, it's in a song in the Southern Rock Opera about that Neil Young and, you know, Sweet Home Alabama and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that. And he says, uh, well, Hood says in that song, paraphrasing a bit, you know, I still believe a Southern man needs both of them around. Yeah, that's the duality, as he says, of the Southern thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I, get what I get what he's saying there. I mean, I could see where some people might misconstrue some of the message, but well, I no, I think they yeah, they misconstrued the message. They misconstrued that there was a message. I think a lot of people did. Uh, they've been political from the very beginning. They've just just been in their songwriting mostly. It just wasn't as overt. And to be honest with you, in my opinion, this new the new album American Band, there's one song in there called uh, What It Means, and and that was the first song that kind of the rest of the album was tailored around uh patterson hood in reflecting upon ferguson wrote this song called what it means and it basically asked the question you know what does all this mean um and that song is most very directly i mean he references ferguson he referenced him he draws conclusions you know he says our you know uh, there's no sunlight up our asses and our heads are stuck up in it I mean that that's kind of the conclusion he comes to and it's very direct in your face. If he that was song, in, he was in our face all night I thought. Yes. Like. In a, in the in a best way. Yes, in the best way sure. Uh, but that song, if you remove that song from the album, I honestly don't think if they wouldn't have come out and said this is what we intend with this album, I don't think it, most people would have noticed. And they played that at the show we went to, correct? What it means. What it means yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. I, I, and I want to say that Patterson like did a lot of singing into the mic and not while well, he wasn't playing guitar on that song. That was one thing I liked yeah. about him is he was so um, that song is mostly dynamic, jumping around. And, and he's not like a super young guy, but he sure acted like a super oh, young I, guy. Yeah, every time I've seen him, he wears these heavy uh, jeans and these heavy uh, boots 
you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, he gets up there and just jumps around on stage and he's all over the place. He did, and he's, he's like jumping and did a little kick at one point. Right? I was like, dude, that's I know. Awesome. He, the guy is a force of nature. He's just energy personified. Uh, that's why I didn't believe what, how, how old are Patterson Hood and Mike Cooley? R- rough approximation. Roughly. Um, I know they're older than I am in the early fifties. Exactly. Right, I, I was like, I mean, I was like, yeah, this guy's 40. <laughs> that seeing him play, that's what I thought. Yeah. And and I, I Cooley in the face mm-hmm. looked a little older, but I saw a cool with those, uh, that hair picture of him in that uh, in that Facebook group, the Shithouse Wire, mm-hmm. and he looked a lot younger. It was uh, then he was going into a Jason uh, Isbell concert. Uh, I don't right, know if you saw that I picture. did see that. I mean, yeah. He looked really young there. The, yeah, where somebody met him in the hallway of an Isbell concert. Yeah, how cool and, is that? And they were like, "Oh, I guess they just <laughs> let anybody into these shows." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, indeed. But uh, yeah, I definitely those guys had a, a, a the energy uh, that just I I just I, I, they they really bringing it. And they do well. That that that's what they're known for, among other things. I mean, they are in in, in circles in in live music circles. They they are known as really one of the best live rock and roll bands on the road today, and they bring it every night and sometimes they'll put on three plus hour shows you know like i said they don't go by a set list so they go didn't we get a ticket a because they played so much yes, <laughs> yeah yes. thanks guys 15 dollar parking ticket for being Jeez. like an hour over yeah uh, i don't even totally yeah, worth it it totally was <laughs> man but they did they played uh, a long time and i was just here here is be like i would look to the left and the, like because you, you're talking about them swapping but it, it would be it, focus and energy here, focus and energy there. Yeah. Oh, we're back over here, and we're back That's over there. That's the shift. Hood, and that, but that was—I've never been in a show like that. Mm-hmm. I've never. It's having two front men is unique in and of itself. But then that they came up with like a cool, unique little way to bring that to you, mm-hmm. that is also a pattern. But then it's not a pattern because there's no set list. Well, it's a pattern based upon what strike, what moves them at the moment. They don't. I mean, well, according to Hood, I now I've, I've read interviews. According to Hood, you know they they don't pre-plan that. In fact, they don't practice either. I mean, I know they probably on their own, but I'm saying they don't practice as a band. When you see them on stage playing, that's the first time they've been playing together since the last time they were on stage. And he, they do that because how often do they tour? They're all, they're touring constantly for the most part. I mean, I know they take breaks and go home and get some family time, but I mean, they're they're one of the most hardest working bands on the road. They're touring all the time. So you would call them some hard working Americans? I would. Yeah. yeah, driving down the road in some, some trucks. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, um, so it, the, the, the reason he he says that they do that, the reason they don't play by with a set list, and the reason that they don't practice as a band. Uh, is because they like to have that raw energy. I mean, that's the punk attitude, right? It's that, uh, we don't need to practice. We're just going to get up here and jam, and that's what they do. But they've been doing it for so long that, and together that they it, it, you'd think that they've been practicing a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. I loved, um, I just, I loved the contrast of their guitar playing styles, mm-hmm. too. I felt like Cooley was more of a lead man. Yeah, I agree. And he he just I, I liked the way his, his songs had more of like a clash esque flair to mm-hmm. him and more more of a like little uh, picked out lead intros 
Where, uh, Patterson, one thing I noticed that was super unique, and I remarked on it throughout the show, is every time he played a solo in a song, yeah, he didn't use his pick. He used his finger. That's he was right. playing it like a bass player, but not even quite like finger picking. It, that's how I played solos. I remember you when I first that. stopped playing bass and was playing um, guitar. Is I could I sucked at a pick because I never played the, the bass with a pick. I was either slapping with my thumb or slapping the bass, slapping the bass, mom, <laughs> or plucking with my my fingers uh, or or just picking. So I, I thought that was unique, mm-hmm. and I was also shocked by how much equipment and inst- and how many instruments they had. Oh yeah, all them pretty road cases. Wow, and Patterson probably swapped guitars a dozen times. Yeah. I think Patterson has well, of course, he has that that one beat up acoustic that he does, you know, with the flowers or the you know, insignia on it down there. It looks like flowers, yeah, but it's yeah, all yeah. faded out, uh, some sort of greenery. Anyway, uh, he, that 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 guitar, and then I think he has. I'm not a guitar expert. You would be that guy, but maybe three other uh, electric guitars that he kind of rotates through. I do know, and I, I can't can't remember the song or songs, but there are a couple songs Hood plays that he uses a different uh, tuning than your standard tuning. And so one of those guitars he has specifically for that song songs that are tuned differently. And then Hood yeah, has... That makes things easier. Yeah, Hood has, um, I think it's only two. I think he, he has was, generally two. I know, I know he has more, but I think generally two electrics I see him generally use for the yeah, most part. Yeah, he was and a lot more stripped acoustic. down. No, two acoustics because he's got the one Cooley Bird acoustic, which is gorgeous. Do you remember that one? Yes. The one has got the Cooley Bird wrapping around yes. the front of the guitar. Oh, it's so cool. Um, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna see if I can't find a picture of that to edit in for people to check out. You know, <laughs> uh, one thing I could tell uh, audiences who've never heard of the Truckers before yeah, I was mentioning the Bottle Rockets show there at the beginning, which also used to check out the Bottle Rockets. Truckers fans tend to be Bottle Rockets fans and vice versa. Uh, but the drummer, um, who's been with the Bottle Rockets from the very beginning, from day one, uh, I was wearing my trucker shirt there that night, uh, one of the trucker shirts I have, and he said, hey, perfect shirt to wear tonight because we just met David Hood last night. I, I can't remember where he said it was now, but the night before, wherever they were, uh, they had just met David Hood, and David Hood is Patterson Hood's father. Um, and he's one of the original Swampers from Muscle Shoals Recording Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Which they, and they did a, a documentary yes, about sir. that, which was on Netflix, because I don't think it is anymore. Have you seen it? I, I, I No, I you didn't need to get watch to see it. it. And I went to, so we, you told me the story and the connection with Patterson Hood, and I think on our way back from the DBT show. Oh, did I? Okay. And then I was like, well, well hell yeah, I'm going to go home and watch it. Oh, and yeah, I, I couldn't it. find a place to stream it. Okay, well, so, it's, yeah, they'll put it back on, I feel. But it's I, called Muscle Shoals, and it is the story of how this music, just beautiful music was birthed out of this really teeny tiny little nothing town in Alabama called Muscle Shoals. And the Swampers, of which David Hood, Patterson's father, was one, um, recorded with, I mean, an untold number. I shouldn't say untold. It's told in the movie. But they recorded with uh, uh, Aretha Franklin. They were the ones who did R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That was recorded with the Swampers. Wow. They recorded with... um, Oh God, Otis Redding. Uh, they recorded with uh, oh, God, I don't know. Rolling Stones. 
recorded with the Swampers and Muscle Shoals. That uh, how, they yeah. recorded they, isn't with there Paul a fun? Is there some sort of funny show uh, or story about yes. uh, the, about the Stones rolling up? Well, uh, I don't remember if it was the Stones, but I do remember a, a funny story with Paul Simon. Um, he had been listening, grooving on Reese Franklin and Under Fredding and stuff. And he called down. He, he saw that, seeing that uh, that all these albums were being coming out of Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and so he was like, "There's something magical going on down there." And he called down. Oh, this is probably mid '70s, you know. He called down to Muscle Shoals, and he has, he's wanted to come down, set up time to come down and record an album. And he said, "Hey, man," he said, "I'd like to get those same cool black cats that you had backing up Aretha Franklin, and <laughs> and Otis Redding." And uh, I don't know if it was David or who it was that told him, said, well, certainly we can work that out, although you might be a little bit surprised by the pigmentation on their skin when you get down here. Yeah. <laughs> because, and quite literally, watch the movie. It's amazing. It's these kids, you know, who were kids, these little, and you look at them, they're these geeky, skinny, glasses-wearing kids that you'd expect to be doing math equations off somewhere, you know? And yet they're making this unbelievably soulful music that that all of the bands in that era were uh, keying into and wanting to uh, tap into, and that's the um, the the what Patterson Hood and ultimately what became Drive by Drive by Truckers was born from. That what a what a cool linkage there, mm -hmm. and how ironic that the Bottle Rockets just. What did he come see him at a show? Did they say where they ran into him? Or? I didn't get the opportunity to ask him details about how exactly they happened to meet him, but I, I think it was at a show. I don't know if it was at a show that they were forming and David was there, or if David was performing as well. He does uh, go around. Uh, in fact, he was here in Arkansas in a living room show, by the way, uh, not too long ago, and it wow. uh, killed me. I uh, wasn't able to make it there. Yeah, bummer. Um, it, it, what a... Are there any good shows coming up besides Dr. Dog? Oh, yeah. Dr. Dog is coming up. I'm seeing the Abbott Brothers next month, uh, March. Kane's Ballroom? Uh, no, this is the... Um, the OK? No, I'm just trying to remember the, the, title, the name of the place. Uh, I can never remember the name of the place because it's an odd name, but it's down by the Bach. Yeah, be, that'd be OK. That's it's not the, the Bach, but it's the one right across the street from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, what do you think about that? Do you like the bo the box center? Uh, the, did you like Roger Waters there? Oh yeah, Roger Waters was was great there. I mean, I like it for <laughs> the the big to do shows. You know, the big shows with like Roger Waters. You know, with a lot of uh, visuals and a lot you know that kind of thing. But I don't like it. I'd much rather go to a small venue. I'd much rather go to more. Yeah, I actually, I was actually going to ask you if you had. Uh, if you had a preference on, because I'm I'm seeing you geek out on these living room shows. I have much. I'm, my preference is most definitely to the smaller venues. Um, that's probably largely because most of the music that I love, not, not that I don't love some of the bigger acts, most of the music I love to, I love is not won't can't fill the box. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Jason Isbell, I think has gotten to the point where he would yeah. be going there. And in fact, last time I saw Isbel, it was a, a Mother Road Festival or something. It was Isbel and Lucero uh, and Shaky Graves. Isbel's playing at the Jazz Festival this year. Yeah. I was telling they were uh, just at, He was just at Robinson last week. I would, uh, you know, he's been on my radar everywhere. So, and you mentioned this earlier. Kind of, can you, and you've, we talked about this, but 
the the interconnectedness of some yeah. of the bands that we're been talking about, have seen, are gonna see, or are gonna talk about. All of the 2017 concerts, how Panic and Todd Snyder and Hardware, how all of those cool connections. It's like periphery, periphery bands. Yeah. You know, like, so what is the, so you mentioned some lineup changes. Mm. Can you kind of go overview? That's, uh, you know, for me, I, d I haven't been a Truckers fan for long, so I haven't followed along with any of the lineup changes. So the current lineup is all that really matters to me. Sure. It's the only one I'm attached to. Uh, but in, I, I know that that J that's Jason Isbell is th the connection is with uh, Drive by Trucker. He was in the band, right? Yeah, let me tell you how that happened because it's a really cool story. Uh, first of all, Hood and Cooley have been from the beginning. They started out, like I said, in the, a band called uh, Adam's House Cat, and they, they they were one of those local bands that got a really strong local following, but it never really moved beyond that. Um, from there, they established a duo, just the two of them, called Virgil Kane, which I've never seen or found any tracks that are, you know, with that name on it. But I know that they did perform along that line. And then, uh, oddly enough, for a, a short time, they uh, formed a band called Horse Pussy, <laughs> which I don't know why, but it never took off. <laughs> <laughs> I can't understand. It kind of got stalled. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Golf clap. <laughs> uh, at any rate, oh. after after the horse pussy business, uh, th that that's when uh, Patterson was in Athens and um, Mike Cooley was back in the, in still in the Muscle Shoals area, and um, that's when Patterson started forming the Drive By Truckers. And one of the reasons, as he tells it, that he formed the Drive-By Truckers is because he was really wanting to lure Mike Cooley back in t to playing with him, you know, and on a, a, a legitimate basis. And that's what happened. In 1998, they put out Gangsta Billy, which has some of my favorite songs on this, Living Bubba, which I want to talk about, Panties in Your Purse, which is a great uh, Cooley staple, 18 Wheels of Love, in which Patterson kind of tells the story of his mom running off with a trucker, which is a great live uh, song because it's, you know, everybody knows the words and everybody sings along. Steve McQueen. I was about to ask if that was on that album. The coolest goddamn motherfucker on the silver screen. Did you yell that out at the show? When I, I yelled out Steve McQueen. If you remember, I yelled out Steve McQueen just hoping that maybe they would think to get it in there somewhere. And Mike Cooley said, it's a, it's a uh, Patterson Hood song, but it was Cooley's turn at that particular time when I yelled it out, which was kind of dumb of me. But uh, I yelled it out, and Mike Cooley goes, yeah, I get that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at any rate, so that was uh, Oh Buttholeville, which is a great song, too. Um, then they followed that up with Pizza Deliverance, uh, which has a great song on it, several great songs, but it has a great song on it called Too Much Sex, Too Little Jesus, uh, which, if we have time, I'll tell a story about that one as well. Uh, in 2001 is when they put out Southern Rock Opera, and at that point, uh, that's when the current drummer brad morgan joined the band he's been with them since then so hood cooley uh and morgan what established was? there in um, southern rock opera yeah southern rock opera in 2001 and then the next album was decoration day and that's where isbel joined the band uh and what happened was between southern rock opera and uh and uh, decoration day john neff 
who was also one of the kind of original guys uh, from the early on, uh, ended up leaving the band. And I don't know, to be honest with you, the story around exactly why that happened. But so the band had been kind of built on three guitarists, you know, like you said, two leads, and then they had another guitarist. You know, Jay Gonzalez is in there now as, as that third guitarist. Um, and they were playing a show, small show. You know, they hadn't really built up a huge audience yet. Although Southern Rock Opera had kind of established them as significant underground type of band to watch. Um, and Jason Isbell just happened to be in the audience. And they had met him previously, and he had had played with them and told them how much he liked them. You know, not played with them in a, in a, on stage or anything, but I mean just jamming in the living room somewhere. Um, and so that Patterson knew that he knew their songs, and he knew that he was a fan, and he knew that he was lacking a third guitarist. And on stage, they were kind of on the spot, going to have to try to figure out how to handle that. And so he said, hey, Jason, man, you know our songs. Why don't you come on up here and join us? And so he was like, yeah, sure. So he just on the spot got up there on the stage and joined him in that song. And he, Patterson, as Patterson tells it, it was just like, it just meshed. It just everything that night came together, and for more or less, Jason was a, a drive-by trucker from that point forward. He was with the band for three albums um, over uh, three years: Decoration Day, The Dirty South, and A Blessing and a Curse. You said The Dirty South is that one that kind of got misinterpreted. Uh, well, I think some people misinterpret a lot probably of their stuff. Probably just read. They probably the classic Georgia book by its cover. Because when you hear Dirty South, you're like, oh. Yeah, I think this like that, and Southern rock opera too, because they established themselves there as you know the voice of the South. I mean, they made it; <laughs> they they took a real risk, as Hood admits. Uh, in I mean, think about this: they're an unknown band. Their first real studio album is a rock opera about the South. That's destined to fail, right? I mean, that's just nah. That's a pretentious and. Uh, a little self-righteous and you know a little weird quite frankly you're gonna your first album is gonna be a rock opera about the south uh don't know if we can sell not that. a wide audience there yeah exactly and, and yet the, it, it 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 uh made a huge splash you know well on that level at least i mean yeah statistically speaking yeah yeah uh at I, any rate they have you seen jason is Yes. Yeah. Not with the truckers, unfortunately. So no, I didn't discover them, quote unquote, discover them until after uh, Isbell's era with the band. But I have seen him live uh, two or three times. What year did he leave? He left in 2006. Well, he, in, he, his last album was a blessing and a curse, and that was out in 2006. And that's when and and they left on good terms, but um, difficult terms. Uh, Isbell was. Uh, kind of got hooked up with Shauna Tucker, who was the bassist during that time with the truckers, and it got really ugly. So that caused the lineup change in two different ways. Uh, yeah, it got really ugly, and then Isbell uh, got the, 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 oh, the classic rock and roll story, right? He got heavy into drugs and alcohol and out of control and um, got to the point where he was interfering with the band's work and, and – Hood and Cooley had to tell him, look, man, we, we just can't do this with you anymore. And it was tense that time. They've since, Pat, or, um, Hood, uh, Cooley, <laughs> Isbell has since uh, 
turned his life around largely because of his beautiful wife and very talented wife, Amanda Shires, who told him before they got married, told him, I'm not doing this with you. I, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, I wasn't there. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not, I, I, I love you, and I think we could have a future together, but this isn't our future, and it's not my future. And I'm, it's either me or it's that scene. And Isbel did some major soul searching and decided that love was more important well, than Well, I didn't drugs. see in his name everywhere. I see his mm. at the Jazz Fest, but uh, I was ha- he was popping up in uh, my feed. I'm sure all of uh, my devices have been listening to us talk about related artists, and then they put, they put it on Facebook or something for me to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's with, uh, well, especially with Southeastern, which was his real breakthrough album, I'd say. Um, to gain him a wider audience. Uh, is he in another band besides the 400 unit? Does he have something else going no, on? Right no, he does put out some albums solo. Interesting. And I, I'm not really sure. I don't know how that works. You know, what do I do? Is What do I just put my name on? What do I put on his and the 400 unit? Uh, but it, as far as I'm concerned, it's Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. I mean, Jason Isbell is the songwriter, obviously, and at the he's the front man. Uh, but the 400 unit have been with him since he started um Go, since he split with the Struckers, started doing his own thing. Um, and Amanda Shires, his wife, tours with him uh, when she's not on her own tours, you know, and works with That's him. That's cool. And I it's it's really cool. He's, he's also joined her on stage. And when he joins her on stage in her show, she introduces him as uh, Mr. Amanda Shires. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, they're 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 an interesting. Do you, have you ever listened to the Tedeschi Trucks band? Oh yeah, I went and saw them actually. They're, that's another kind of Panic interwoven uh-huh. band. They've played a lot with Panic. About Jimmy's played with them. John Bell recently hopped on stage. Uh, mm-hmm. Panic frontman at a show with them, but uh, they have kind of that dynamic because uh, Susan Tedeschi had her own band first, mm-hmm. and Derek As Trucks, did Trucks obviously. Yeah, so then the Tedeschi Trucks band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I knew the Derek Tru- Derek Trucks band before uh, he and, and Susan Tedeschi got married and joined forces. Uh, but they are they are a force to be reckoned with together, no sh- no doubt about. It. Two of the best slide guitarists, if not the best slide Derek guitarists is a playing today. Yeah, Derek Trucks is a t- is a total prodigy. I, there's a, a video I watch all the time on uh, YouTube of. Derek Trucks playing a song called Surprise Valley with mm. Widespread Panic, mm. and him and Jimmy are just going back and forth. And, you know, John Bell plays slide guitar, but not anywhere on the level of these people we're talking about. There's a, you'll check this out since you've, you've been playing guitar for some time now, is there's a video of Jimmy Herring talking about slide techniques, and he's talking about people like Derek. And, oh but yeah. there's these, Jimmy Herring, I, I don't know if he's trying to do lessons or what, but, and it, it, they're great sources, but they are super over the top. And uh-huh. like We've s- watched one of those. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's like, well, just, you just kind of, I'm like, oh, you just dibba dibba do, do you? And like when he's breaking down the theory, he's like, man, I found this chord, which is an A sharp minor 17, suspended to. Over the square root of four. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's there. It's like calculus. It's like, well, I, what, which of my variables are x or y? I, it, 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 but uh, he he has one where he goes into slide uh, techniques, mm. and he's like, you know, my friend Derek, he does stuff like, 
And uh, man, I, that you know, we, uh, we should have a um, well when we do the 2017 concert Which review, we'll get to eventually. We're pumping it here on the podcast right now. But uh, it's Jimmy Harry and the Invisible Whip. Most definitely. You know, and another one we need to go see, and I, I've seen him several times, but you need to see him uh, because he's another of those guitarists mentioned in Sly Guitarists that I would put in that group, and that's Luther Dickinson, uh, the North Mississippi him. All-Stars. Oh, uh, I've heard of the North Mississippi All-Stars. Yeah, that's his band. He, well, he, he and his, his uh, brother, Scott, uh, their band, I should say. But, I mean, he's the he's the guy out front with the guitar. I mean, he's, he's just one of those... Uh, guys whose fingers look like they're about 10 feet long, and he's all over that neck at all times. He's phenomenal. Uh, he played with the Black Crows for uh, a good while as one of the lead guitarists there as well. Nice. Um, back to, though, if you don't mind, back to uh, the lineup you asked me about. It was after Isbel left. Shortly after that, then Shauna Tucker uh, kind of went and did her own thing. She's got her own band now. Um so now what we've got is my uh, Hood and Cooley and Brad Morgan. They've been together since the very beginning. Uh, Jay Gonzalez joined in 2008. And he and that's their piano, all He's sorts of multi. Swiss Army knife of a musician kind of guy. He is just uber talented. I kind of have a man crush on him. Uh, he, he was, he was super talented. Else, uh, I was, uh, I I mean, was into his presence. He's created his own instruments. I mean, he's just one of that kind of guy who creates his own instruments because he can't get the sound that he wants off the instruments that are first, that are actually already created. He's one of those kind of guys. He's just, uh, you know, he kind of fades into the background a little bit there. But, if you, you know, if you could tear your eyes away from Hood and Cooley for a moment and watch him. He is just mind-bogglingly good, and he'll he, go yeah, from he, the... he did have some great overlay. I could. Oh, yeah. It's interesting to see that dynamic of three guitar players because I've mm-hmm. seen some bands that have three guitar players, and it's just over the top because to the two of the guitar players aren't both front men who are, right. you know, and I will say this. I'm more of a rhythm guitar player, and I've studied lead, but I've never really got into theory like I would need to or... Um, I've just never really gone down that rabbit hole. I'm more of a rhythm guy. I like finger picking. I like strumming. Yeah. And uh, I'm more of a can't play worth a crap guy. But I'm trying still. Hey man, that's all. Little like, by little. What's do you do? You have time each day where you write? Well, hold on. Before you go there, I cannot yeah, go, ahead, go, go ahead. away without mentioning Matt Patton because if I if I leave out one member of the band, I've done done the band the, the, the band of the service. the new bassist uh well new he's been with them since 2012 uh okay. he, but he played with them he's been with them officially since 2012 he played with them on stage many times before then he came official member in 2012 his he also has another band called the dexa teens uh which is a real kind of oh, i don't know how, it's so hard to classify some of these bands but i mean i would put them more in the punk rock type category you know uh, but also very uh, uh, p- politically driven and, and, and kind of ideologically uh, motivated in their songwriting. Um, they are a lot of fun, too, and I saw them in at uh, Whitewater Tavern. I don't remember last year or the year before. I can't really remember. Ended up uh, going by myself, one of those solo shows that I had to fly solo, and uh, walked in the door, and there's a whole band. That's what I love about these small places. Ended up hanging out with the entire band all night, partying with them all night long join their show you know it, it, was, it was a unique experience but i met matt Patton there and he's one of these guys that just looked like to me 
uh, that he is like pinching himself every minute of every day, at least when he's up there on that stage, because 99% of the time when he's up there playing, man, he's got a smile plastered. Did you notice that? Yeah, A did. smile plastered across his face from start to finish. He looks like... He looks like he's just up there playing, going, I cannot believe. I can't believe. Yeah, I felt that way. I felt that way. So there you go. That That's the full band as it stands now. And and, and Hood and Cooley have both said that the, that they think that, the, you know, in terms of all told together, this is their tightest uh, crew. Yeah, uh, I was, uh, like I said, the current lineup is the only one I've ever known. Yeah. Wait, wait, when did you start listening to the Truckers? Ah, good question. Um I want to say, and this is a bit of a guesstimation, but I had known about the truckers, much like with Todd Snyder, I'd known about the truckers for a couple years before I finally started looking into their music. I had heard their name, I had heard, you know, of their reputation uh, as as really high uh, high rate, high class musicians, and uh, for some reason, it took me a couple years to finally get into them. And when I bought um, a blessing and a curse on CD, which I've since remedied and bought vinyl. Uh, but when I first bought that, because it simply was the cheapest one I could find, and the second that I started listening to it, I, as we've talked about with other bands, it was like, why in the hell did I wait so long to get into this band? But I would say it was around probably 2011-ish, somewhere around there. Because the first time I saw them live was at Riverfest in 2013. And, I, and that was after I had kind of become a big fan already. Not kind of. I, I was I was a I was a fanboy by then, nice. <laughs> uh, but you know I had since I what I always like to do with with new bands or bands new to me I should say is is look at what they're doing now. You know, look at their wh- what are they what are they pr- uh, creating now, and do I like it and does it speak to me and if it does then I'll start going backwards and combing through their back catalog, and that's the same thing I did, you know. It's actually not the exact same thing I do with the truckers, but I mean, once I listened to that album because it was cheapest, then I went and bought their most recent and started getting everything else that I could. First time I saw them was at Riverfest in 2013, and then I saw them at George's uh, a year later, um, and then I saw them at the Rev Room a year later. I saw uh, Patterson Hood perform solo uh, in uh, two, 2015 at South on Main. And then that's where I got to meet him, which I'll talk about in a second. And then I also saw him solo the very next night uh, as part of, his, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but the Compuris Distinguished Lecture Series uh, at the president uh, or at the uh, uh, Clinton Presidential Library in Little Rock. Uh, they had him in there as again as a significant voice of Southern culture, uh, and they did interviews and then pr- you know between questions he'd play songs as well so that was a unique experience and then the last time was when you and i went last year in september was the last time i saw them many, not the last time many I will. thanks and not the next time i'm hope i'm sure that we will yeah it uh it was such an amazing night man i was blown away i was sitting there just jaw dropped because i you know it, it's like is I felt the same way when I saw Panic. I was not really into their music. I saw them live for the first time, and that was like really my first. Head, I mean, I'd only ever listened to maybe three songs, so it was like a heavy dosage. And you know how much better live performances tend to be than studio albums. Oh, most definitely. Although I will say too that live performances 
for most people at least, and for most bands, tend to be better if you're familiar with the music too. Um, that may not be so much true for a jam band, or it may be as, as much true for a jam band, but I think it's true for bands in general. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you know the music going into it, you probably get more out of the live performance. Yeah. I do at least. That may not be true for everybody. I, I I think yeah I could see that I just uh, both in the in these instances and Todd Snyder I just got mind blown yeah it was just like 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 mind ninja <laughs> I was not expecting that mm -hmm. it was like you know I mean because Panic's an incredible band Todd Snyder uh, and you think of one guy getting up in there with his just his acoustic guitar and okay this is one of the best concerts I've like, ever been to I, know, I mean no and and the same thing for the Trucker Show it's like. And, you know, it's not like I was skeptical going in, but it's just kind of like, I mean, you go in it, not sure. it wasn't well, and why I was so willing to go to Todd Snyder and just was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I really want to make this happen. <laughs> so can I, you know, and I'm, I was able to make it happen. I didn't have anything else going on. Uh, but uh, I was almost not say reluctant to go to the truckers, but it's like I never really got into them, but I just kind of took your word for it mm -hmm. and went with it and. I had a blast, man. It yeah. was an awesome experience, and that's why I do these things. It's because of the experience. It's a f it's a fun experience. You know, I, you mentioned earlier, and we'll swing back around to that again about you know how going to concerts when you were young, and then you kind of got out of it, right? I, am I am I correct? In yeah, that? no, that's that's definitely true. In that's like my earlier twenties, like I, I I did, and then I took you know probably there's probably three or four years, and then Cora and I started ramping it back up. See, that's kind of similar. To me, I mean, when I was young, when I was a teenager, my friends and I went to concerts. Uh, I mean, I saw Floyd twice. I saw uh, God, really? The Who. I saw. What year did you see Floyd? Oh, I'd have to go back in my memory banks, but it was back in Florida, though. Nice. Um, back jelly. when I was a teenager. Super jelly. <laughs> um, I mean, I've seen Steve Miller. I've seen uh, Allman Brothers a couple times. Leonard Skinner three times. Uh, you know, I used to go to shows like that all the time. I mean, whenever we possibly could, Aerosmith. Um, but somewhere between teenager and having to do all the adulting stuff, I kind of lost track of that. You know, I kind of lost track of what was going on in the music scene. You know, fell out of going to live shows, fell out of really listening to music at all. I mean, I just kind of fell out of it. Um, and then, of course, fell then into that basic idea that most people have is that, you know, they don't make good music anymore, right? Um, and it was actually when I discovered what I call this underground music scene is when I got back into it again. And to me, especially because of the intimacy of or, or the general uh, basic intimacy of the, of the kinds of shows that you uh, get in the underground music, it just lit a fire beneath me. And for me, <coughs> going to a show like that, like that trucker show that you and I went to, especially when we're on the rail like that, it's it's forces my mind to stop and be in the moment and not in tomorrow and what I have to worry about, not in yesterday, but, but in the now, right now. Because, you know, it's that energy coming off those players and just that washing over me just makes me feel it and I guess that puts me in the moment and it's it's one of those I, th I think well, I'm overstating this but it's true for me at least to some degree it, it's it's one of the uh, relatively rare experiences in a lifetime in which you're tapping into something 
very real. And that's why I like this kind of music. It's not prepackaged. It's not polished. It's, it's not, you know, taken over by a studio and adding all the little elements that are going to appeal to a wide audience. It's the music that these guys and girls, many female artists out there doing their thing as well, you know, it's the music that they're making not because it's making them a living, although they're trying to get that, but they're making it because they don't have a choice. It's got to come out, you know what I mean? They have to do this. Otherwise, they wouldn't. I've heard so many artists say stuff like that. You know, some of these musicians, I'm, I do this not because it pays a lot of money, because trust me, it doesn't. <laughs> it's not a glamorous lifestyle. They do it because they have to. And so when I'm there on the front of the stage, or I'm there on the, the rail, you know, if I can get there and I get there most times, it's tapping in, leaving the facade and the bullshit of the world and everything that goes along with it behind for two to three hours and tapping in to something real and something shared. You know what I mean? Well, It, it just feeds me. I need it. The comparison you kind of gave, uh, some of the bands you mentioned that, that you maybe saw when you were younger, like g when when good music was on the radio, I would, right. uh, I guess you could say that. I mean, some some of the some of the acts that you mentioned are, are well known and, and icons in their own right, and probably um, you know appreciated in their own time and still. Definitely, but like Jackson Brown, he's a good example. I saw him not too long ago at the Amp. And he's somebody who came up in, you know, c commercial radio era, right? You know, before it came overly commercialized. Before it came to the point where you're only getting a song on the radio if you have enough money to pay for it, yeah. right? Before it got to that point. And he's one of our, in my mind, one of our best songwriters ever, still to this day. And still. Jackson Brown. Yeah. Uh, I just, this, uh, you mentioned this on the Todd Snyder podcast. It's like all of these bands that we've mentioned, in exception to maybe, maybe. But again, I still don't mean anyone that knows who Widespread Panic is, as I we we both mentioned. But it's not that these bands are underground. It's not that they're like, uh, like you you mentioned, not like they're playing shows for gas money, so to speak. Well, if it's on. how they're, uh, yeah, yeah. But let's say the Truckers, Todd Snyder, Jason Isbell, Widespread Panic, they're probably all making a living. Oh, you know. most definitely. Yeah, now. Now. And, and you know, granted, uh, it's such a hard um, road to make it. I, the guy I had on the podcast this morning, Josh Wilson, he could – I feel like he could – I, I kind of harped on him earlier in the podcast about how much of a renaissance man he was because in my mind, I was – he could have done anything with music. Yeah. He's so multi-talented. I just – he it always blew me away watching him work, you yeah. know. Performer, you know, think about it this way. Most of the band, even drive by, okay, so drive by truckers, Isbel, Isbel is probably best of the drive by truckers at this point, not in terms of artistic uh, output, but in terms of, um, you know, the, the types of stadiums he can fill or the types of venues he can fill. Um, he's tapped into something that has brought him to the next level, right? Him and the band. And so have the Tuckers, and so has Todd Snyder and Hard Work America and Widespread Panic. You know, they've tapped into, you know, something that allows them to travel in a bit more comfort, that allows them to, you know, have a little bit easier living, ha be able to take some time off, you know. 
Um, but even so, I mean, look at them. They have to tour. They have to. You know, it used yeah. to be they'd sell albums, and then the tour was meant to, pr- to promote the album. These days, the album is really, you know, kind of fodder for the tour, in essence. I mean, it's the live music. It, I think even in most cases, even with, with say, the truckers, that they're still making most of their income off of getting out there on the road. Yeah, and, they, and it seems like that's what they want to do. Well, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it turns sure into a little don't. bit of a grind. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. I imagine. I mean, I know that, that you know, there. I'm sure there are times it's got to be hard being away from your family for that long. And, right. you know, and, and, yeah. and hard even, you know, when you're on the road to keep up with them. You know, when you're up and working, they're asleep. You know, I imagine it's a real disconnect, I would think. And it's yeah. got to be pretty tough. And especially if you're piling all your stuff into a you know, a van carrying a trailer, which a lot of these vans, including the truckers, I mean, that's what they do. They drive, they drive their own van. They don't have a big old bus. You yes. know, they're, they're all piled into a little minivan type thing when carrying their equipment in a trailer, going from place to place, making enough to keep them rolling. You know, Brian Henneman even said during that show, um, he gave the advice, as I would pass along, because I think it's good advice, that, you know, if you go see the show, support the art, support the artists. You know, these people are out there uh, trying to create and trying to make something real. And they oftentimes have the experience where, uh, you know, fans will come up to them and want to buy them a round of drinks, you know. And he says, and that's great. That's great. I mean, I don't mean to say that's not great. He said, but the thing is, is I understand most, not all, but most of these places we go play, drinks for the band are kind of part of the thing, you know. He says, so what you're really doing is you're buying drinks for a band that already has all the drinks they need as part of their show pay, right? So he said, if you really want to honor the band, you really want to show appreciation, buy a T-shirt, buy a CD, buy a, you know, that music, buy a, you know. For real. I mean, he said, that's what's, that's what'll help a, a band to really keep going and, 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 and make some sort of a living out of this. And I don't think about that. This is a band that's been going for over 25 years that are still having to put that message out. That That's what I'm going to say, underground music. It's the music that, as I, as I find out, that, that, that is not known by the general person on the street, that's not played on the uh, general radio station. You know. Yeah. So uh, can I talk about um, three great, great Alabama icons? Lay it on me, man. Have you listened to Southern Rock Opera, the, the album? In passing. Okay. I couldn't. It, I couldn't tell you every, like any tracks off of it off the top of my head. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's it is as it is. Is that a called. double? It is a double disc. It is a double set, a double disc set, double album set. Um, that is. Well, I think I mentioned it earlier. It is a rock opera about you know the South, the modern South, and it takes kind of as its conceit. Um, as its central story, it uses the Leonard Skinner story and mythology as kind of the central concept of the opera itself. And so there's a band, right, that is at the center of the story, and that band gets on an airplane, and there's a plane crash. You know the Leonard Skinner story. Okay? Right, so it exactly. weaves in kind of that story as well as weaving in the mythology of Leonard Skinner and how they became really a big band almost immediately, right? I mean, they didn't—they weren't performing for maybe 
handful of years, and yet here we are. In this straight day out of age. high school for the most part. Right, and here we are in this day and age, uh, still you know pointing to them as one of the best rock and roll bands. And they, you know, anytime you say Southern rock, everybody's going to say, "Oh, Leonard Skinner," you know, right? Uh, and yet they were they were really active for a short period of time. At any rate, uh, in the middle of all that, also is this kind of assessment of or analysis of this what Patterson Hood calls the duality of the Southern thing, you know, about how the South is more than one thing. I mean, if people look at the South and Southerners, they kind of have this image in their mind, and that is part of what the South is, but there's a whole other part that a lot of people don't know unless they are Southerners, right? And so that's kind of what the album focuses on. Um, and there's this, one of my, one of those works, it's a, kind of a spoken word song called The Three Great Alabama Icons that P uh, Patterson Hood wrote. And he wrote it specifically to bridge two songs uh, to both keep, to, to show that the relevance of the song from one to the next, but also to show how they all relate to the overwhelming thema uh, themes of the album itself. The first one is Southern Rock. I'm sorry. The first one is The Southern Thing, okay? Uh, and then... He had the Southern Thing, and then he had the song called Wallace. And the Southern Thing is kind of about you know, what the South is all about, and then it leads into George Wallace, mm. which it's the story of George Wallace going to hell and meeting the devil. And how I'm going to be talking about him on my history podcast. Okay, we got to listen to this song. Yeah. Um, how the, the devil is kind of as the story progresses, is like all excited because, oh, George Wallace is coming. This guy is oh great, man. I've heard so much about him. You know? And so he like gets all prepared, you know, and, and for George Wallace to show up. So it's kind of the two songs he was trying to bridge. And he was having a hard time figuring out how to bring them together. And it's ultimately this spoken word song he wrote called The Three Great Alabama Icons that brought those two songs together. Now, he performed this at... Um, the um, presidential Clinton Library, and it was the first time he had actually performed it live in several years. And he did it at the at the behest of or at the quest of uh, the guy who was interviewing him. Uh, when I first heard it, I loved it just because of the way his voice tells the story. And so, one time at, at college, uh, or, or at college, uh, at my college, I teach at college. Uh, they were doing a student event thing and they were having these monthly poetry reading contests and since they knew that I taught creative writing and taught poetry and dabbled some in poetry they asked if I would come and you know be one of their readers and the thing is I don't really write poetry I've written one good poem in my life I got it published it's the only one I've ever gotten published um, and then maybe two other decent ones that I would share only with people who like you know, I trusted wouldn't like throw up on it. <laughs> I and mean, I'm not a poet, let's put it that way. And so what I did instead is I took Patterson Hood's three great Alabama icons and I read it as a poem uh, in that poetry reading. Interesting. So would you like to hear it? Yeah. Do we have yeah. time? For sure. Yeah, right. for sure. We got plenty of time. I was actually just looking to see how many views we had on the Todd's Matter podcast. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> uh, uh, we got a few uh, few shares. It's only been up for a few hours. But, uh, Sweet. Yeah, uh, people have uh, been commenting on it. So. so this is where he talks about kind of the duality of the Southern thing, okay? And it sets up this idea of George Wallace going to hell. I'll do the best I can. I'll try to do Patterson Hood proud here. But I grew up in North Alabama, 
back in the 1970s when dinosaurs still roamed the earth. I'm speaking, of course, of the three great Alabama icons, George Wallace, Bear Bryant, and Ronnie Van Zant. Now, Ronnie Van Zant wasn't from Alabama. He was from Florida. He was a huge Neil Young fan, but in the tradition of Merle Haggard, riding Oki from Muskogee to tell his dad's point of view on the hippies in Vietnam, Ronnie felt that the other side of the story should be told. Neil Young always claimed that Sweet Home Alabama was one of his favorite songs, and legend has it that he was an honorary pallbearer at Ronnie's funeral. Such is the duality of the southern thing. And Bear Bryant wore a cool-looking red checkered hat and won football games, and there's few things more loved in Alabama than football and the men who know how to win at it. So when the bear would come to town, there would be a parade. Me, I was one of them pussy boys because I hated football, so I got a guitar. But a guitar was a poor substitute for a football with the girls in my high school. So my band hit the road, and we didn't play no Skinner neither. I came of age rebelling against the music in my high school parking lot. It wasn't until years later, after, here, after leaving the South for a while, that I came to appreciate and understand the whole Skinner thing and its misunderstood glory. I left the South and learned how different people's perceptions of the Southern thing was from what I had seen in my life which leads us to George Wallace. Now, Wallace was, for all practical purposes, the governor of, Alabama, governor of Alabama from 1962 until 1986. Once, when a law prevented him from succeeding himself, he ran his wife, Lurleen, in his place, and she won by a landslide. He's most famous as the belligerent racist voice of the segregationist South, standing in the doorways of schools and waging a war against the federal government that he decried as hypocritical. Now, Wallace started out as a lawyer and a judge with a very progressive and humanitarian track record for a man of his time, but he lost his first bid for governor in 1958 by hedging on the race issue against a man who spoke out against integration. Wallace ran again in 62 as a staunch segregationist and won big, and for the next decade he spoke out loudly. He accused Kennedy and King of being communists, and he was constantly on the national news representing the good people of Alabama. And you know, race was only an issue on TV in the house that I grew up in. Wallace was viewed as a man from another time and place, but when I first ventured out of the South, I was shocked at how strongly Wallace was associated with Alabama and its people. Racism is a worldwide problem, and it's been like that since the beginning of recorded history, and it ain't just white and black, but thanks to George Wallace, it's always a little more convenient to play it with a Southern accent. Bands like Leonard Skinner attempted to show another side of the South, one that certainly exists but few saw beyond the rebel flag, and this applies not only to their critics and detractors, but also their fans and followers. So for a while, when Neil Young would come to town, he'd get death threats down in Alabama. Ironically, in 1971, after a particularly racially charged campaign, Wallace began backpedaling, and he opened up Alabama politics to minorities at a fat rate faster than most northern states or the federal government. 
Wallace spent the rest of his life trying to explain away his racist past. And in 1982, he won his last term in office with over 90% of the black vote. Such is the duality of the Southern thing. And George Wallace died back in 98, and he's in hell now, not because he's a racist. His track record as a judge and his late life quest for redemption make a good argument for his being, at worst, no worse than most white men of his generation, North or South. Because of his blind ambition and his hunger for votes, he turned a blind eye to the suffering of black America, and he became a pawn in the fight against civil rights cause. Fortunately for him, the devil is also a Southerner. <laughs> well, all props go to Hood. If I, if wow, that's, uh, that's powerful. Did, did he play that at the show? Yeah, he played that well, not at our show. Yeah, he I didn't played think that so. though at the um at the at solo the, performance. Well, yeah, at the solo performance of President uh Clinton yes. Presidential Library. Yes. By special request. He had to have notes up there kind of like I was reading it because <laughs> it's been so long since he had played it. Did did, did you get uh, you got some lyrics to like a new song from the Trucker show? Perilous right? Night, that's correct. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Um which they have since put out as a single. It was it out when we no. saw him? Well, no, it's a song he had just written. Yeah, and he'd like... That's why the, they were the lyrics there. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, the, what I, they had something taped to the speaker, and that's what I tore off, right? Just because I knew they were going to throw it away. I'm like, I'm not. I'll take that. I'll take that. Thank you. And so I brought it back, and I was like, what is this? It was just kind of like some disconnected, what looked like stanzas, but there didn't seem to be any, any logic to them. Come to find out, I... What I pulled off was one of three different pages of the entire song of Perilous Night. And through working with other people that did similar things that I did, somebody else pulled off the second page at some other show, and somebody else put off the third page at some nice. other show. And we online and Facebook somehow came together, like put it all together, and we had the full song. Uh, so that's that was Perilous Night. That, that should be a album single now. It should be coming out um, uh, on their next album, I would imagine, but it's a it's a song about the um, oh god oh um, where was the rally? At, where was the uh, the the rally to try to oh the, the statue Charlotte Mont- yes Charlotte Char- Char- yes yes I want to say Charlotteville and I knew that wasn't right Charlotte so it's a song all about that that night <laughs> perilous night yeah. Um, <clears throat> It, that was again. That was just such an amazing show. I, I remember when they played that. Uh, so, what else where, you got, Brian? Where does that leave us? <laughs> we have uh, we have really delved in, man. I kind of shared my personal experience uh, as a as a noob, uh, someone new to the the fanboy club of the truckers. But uh, man, we hit on uh, we hit on a lot of high points. You yeah. got anything else you want to uh, add before we wrap it up? Well, um, the only thing I guess I would add is that uh, if anyone's interested, as we plugged on the last one as well, check out my YouTube channel. Uh, every time I go to to shows like this, when the, unless the artist or the venue or both uh, expressly say, please do not take a video, I always try to take a couple, maybe three full song videos. Uh, and upload those just as a memento for me, but also as a document, you know, I like to document it. 
Uh, I will say, too, for those of you out here that do go to concerts, I am very familiar and very conscious of the holding the phones up. I don't use my phone for video. I use a small little point-and-shoot, which I hold, like, right in front of my yeah. face in order great, to try great to – Great, quality. Well, yeah, not, but, but the biggest thing is I, I don't like to be obtrusive. And I understand that this is a big thing now because everybody holds their doggone phones up and then you're trying to watch a show through everybody yeah. else's phones. And so what I do instead is I have a little point and shoot and I, I hold it down near my face. And so I can kind of inch back and see that I'm in frame, but I otherwise keep it from the view of anybody behind me. You know. Yeah, I barely noticed that you yeah. were recording. I, I, I try to keep show. it as, as unobtrusive as I possibly can, but um, but I do. I take a couple, couple three uh, full song shows. I just basically uh, decide – at any given moment, whatever song is coming up next, I'm recording that song. That's usually the way I do it. And whatever song it happens to be, that's what I get. Um, so uh, if you're interested, check out uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, it's Michael Boutier, which is how you – you, my, my real name is Michael Booty, but my my uh, my uh, YouTube channel is Boutier, and I'll spell that. Michael, first of all, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. And then Boutier, B-O-O-T-H-I-L-L-I-E-R. Phonetically, it's boot hillier. Nice. And you can link me to off that, I'm sure. I'll, I'll definitely. I'm gonna throw your. Uh, I'm gonna throw a, a URL up in the description. Always a pleasure, my friend. Um, Thanks for having me, bud. Uh, yeah, well, look forward to having you back uh, and having. Uh, I feel like you're almost like uh, when like we have a, a boxing coach come in. That's like that's all they've ever done. They're specialist. <laughs> you kind of you kind of like the musical specialist. Of well, the, the big thing is, is I'm a I'm a music lover of real music. People ask me what kind of music I like, and I say good music, because I cross genres. I'm all over the place at all times. But I like good music. I like real music. I like music that has something to say, which is why I suppose good songwriting is so often at the core of that. Yeah. Um. So, I love sharing that. You know what I mean. I don't consider myself an expert really in it. I, 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 I guess I have some expertise just because I follow this stuff. But, I mean, I, more than anything else, I just – most people don't care. <laughs> you know? Most people don't know the bands I'm talking about, nor do they really care to hear me talk about them. So to have the opportunity to come in here and just chat with a good buddy like you about something that I love and that you're also passionate about is uh, well, uh, yeah. great. I, I like narrowing in on the audience too So because, like, I mean – when I, I feel like that Todd Snyder, Drive by Truckers, Panic, they all have these such uh, such unique communities. Yes. Well, Drive by Truckers is a perfect example because when I go to a trucker show, it's like a family reunion. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah, see you saw a ton of people at both. Oh, I noticed yeah. that. We're all getting together and hugging and yeah, catching up. I mean, it really is. It's like it's like kind of a reunion every time. Uh, not only with the band, but with the people that I have, you know, that come to the same come venues. To know. Yeah. Yeah, you actually get to say, well, so there is other people like me out there. The people out there that know this stuff and love it as much as I do. That, so that's a unique experience for sure. Mm-hmm. And we do need to talk, you mentioned earlier about upcoming upcoming shows, you know, which we'll have talked about. Dr. Dog is coming up. Uh, that Lucero family picnic. In Memphis. In Memphis, yeah, which is only I saw, three hours. I saw a, a, Man, uh, Lucero, yeah. Deer Tick, Turnpike Troubadours, John Moreland, and a couple more. Those are the big names. Deer Tick, I want to see again bad. So we'll have to talk about that one too. But at any rate, even if we end up not going, I'll probably swing down there as a solo if I have to. Gosh, I think we got another episode coming up. There you go. You know. 
Well, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, I look forward to having you back and for uh, look forward to hitting a show with you soon. And uh, just plug a future uh, spot we'll be doing. Uh, we're going to get Colby, a.k.a. my friend Bill, Good on guy. the podcast. We're going to do. Um, He's uh, another one passionate about music, too. Uh, man, the first time I, you two guys got together and uh, I was I was attempting to string your guitar and also participate in the conversation and also mm -hmm. listen to the conversation. Um, it, it was, uh, it was funny, <laughs> but, uh, cause it was just like, hey, have you, it was, uh, it was like almost feeling out process. Have you heard of this band? Yeah, I love that band. <laughs> well, well, have you heard of that band? I love that band. <laughs> it was like, and then like after like two bands each, you're like, all right, bro. Like, you know, we're, we're here. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're on the same page. So, same uh, wavelength, uh, but yeah, I look forward to getting both you guys in the same room and being on the podcast. And I was, I remember, cause I've been wanting to start a podcast for a long time. I'm and I remember thinking about that. I'm like, why aren't we recording this? Yeah. Well, I remember a couple times hanging out. This is after you talked about doing it and maybe gotten to the point where you were actually thinking about how you were going to do it. But, uh, Every time we'd start talking, you'd be like, speaking to the microphone. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we need to just start I mean, recording it, this. <laughs> is, is it became more and more reality, and uh, it was. It was a, it was a, just a, a thought there for a while, and then, um, you know, now it's this. So, yeah. And it just is going to keep expanding like most of the things we do. So. I'll come back anytime. I'm always ready to talk music. All right, bro. Well, let's snap a picture for uh, – for promotional sake. purposes. Not yeah. Sure. All right, man. We're signing off. We'll see you guys next Take time. Take care, people. Thank you for listening.